Yo, what up, world? This is Lonzo, the world-class grandmaster, leader of the world-class wrecking crew. I'm about to turn into the 360 Bar Show with my boy, the incredible, yeah, the incredible DJ 360. Peace. Y'all to tell me the name of my DJ. One, two, three. DJ 360. Yo, I gotta hear that one more time, man. One, two, three. D -D -D DJ 360. Again, it's on, and it's 2018. I want to say welcome to 2018 to everybody out there in the world, in the country, in the, on the planet, in the solar system, wherever you are right now. Welcome to 2018, and this is the first show on the 360 Bar Show, broadcasting live from Houston, Texas. And I want to say I want everybody to, to, to start this year off and continue this year with positivity. Don't let anything jump in the way of your goals. Make sure you achieve everything you want to achieve. Um, but we're right here, and this Wednesday is a special Wednesday. Because like I just said, we're broadcasting live from Houston. And I said to myself, I said, look, what better way than to get away from all the, the negativity that we have in the news and, the, you know, politics and everybody who's being, you know, um, there's allegations, like I said before, that's just popping up out of, the woodworks, and 20 years later, people being accused of this and accused of that. You look on the news, you see all kinds of negativity. Right here on the 360 Bar Show, John Duke Network with our positivity. Shout out to Van Silk. Shout out to Cool Cow. Shout out to Mike Styles and um, Frank Holiday, Tanya, John Duke. Everybody over there at the John Duke Network, once again, you can check my social media. If you want to check out any shows that are happening on the John Duke Network, just check my IG. Check the gram and just look at the, 
the weekly rundown of what's happening. We got a lot of shows, a lot of good things in store for you. Um, I also want to give a shout out to everybody who sat down and interviewed with me last season from Black Sea of RBL. We sat down with Positive K. Um, we talked to Lonzo, Grandmaster Lonzo from the World Class Wrecking Crew. Um, Van Silk and Cool Kyle had the opportunity to sit down with, with Fly Ty from Cold Chilling Records. Uh, you know, Eddie Chiba and a whole, whole bunch of other artists. I want to say thank you to everybody. And we got a, a bunch of, you know, amazing guests coming up this, this season on the 360 Bar Show. Tonight is no different. And like I said, we're down here in H-Town. And we're going to start off this season with an H-Town legend, with, with an artist who is not only an artist but also one of my favorite DJs in the whole, on the whole planet. You know, I'm a DJ to this day. I'm DJ 360, but I wouldn't be DJ 360 without Grandmaster Flash. I'm sure my, my guest, my special guest tonight can agree that Grandmaster Flash is one of those amazing inspirations in our DJ experience. I wouldn't be who I am today on the wheels of steel without Jam Master J, without DJ Jazzy Jeff, without Joe Cooley, and DJ Mr. Mix from the Two Live Crew. And also, none other than my guest tonight, I wouldn't be anything on the wheels of steel without all those DJs and my guest tonight, DJ Ready Red of the Ghetto Boys. What y'all know about that? What's up, Red? What's coming at you, man? What's going on? Happy New Year. Oh. 2018, we doing it, baby. What's happening, man? Man, it's some good company because all them DJs is bad. Let me man, you, but yeah, you know what? My calling came from the Grandmaster Flash, the Golf Raider, Side Fader. You know, so that's what it's all about, man. Wow, and 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 I'm I'm gonna say this, and, and tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but Grandmaster, the Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel is one of those great pieces that you. Uh, you I, I, I'm going to ask you if you ever tried to emulate that on the wheels of steel or try to do yes, the, you know, the and it, Yeah. And it changed my life. It taught me so much. That record is a teaching tool. First, it taught me how to get records together, to do Flash's quick mix theory of how right. to put the records, how to cue, how to get it on so fast that you got to Flash is one of the most fastest persons I've ever seen in Cure Records. <laughs> I'm coming back. Right. I drop the needle. Theodore can drop it right to where it is. But Flash used to get the records fast so they could do it. And wow. You, and it's still a phenomenal record. Uh, when I want to brush up on my timing and technique, I'll try to emulate the adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the world still. Wow. Man, and... The same way that he influenced you, man, all those DJs, including yourself, man, me as a young dude back in the 80s, I'm born in 78, so by 88, which is the height of that new sound in hip-hop, you know, when the, when the 808 came in and around 86, the drum beats changed, and you got artists like Public Enemy, you got artists like Two Live Crew and WA, and the Ghetto Boys, I'm 10 years old at that time, so I'm listening to you, I'm listening to all these other DJs, producers, and rappers, and I just got addicted to hip-hop music, man. As a matter of fact, I, can, I'm, I, I don't know if I told you this before, but on the song, and we're going to talk about the, the projects, you know, the Ghetto Boy projects and what Ready Red was doing prior to the Ghetto Boy project, but I just got to tell you this, man, in honor of you being on the show tonight, the song Making Trouble off of um, the Ghetto Boy first, uh, what, I, what I'm considering the first um, full-length Ghetto Boys project, the song yes, Making is. Trouble... Yeah, the song Making Trouble off of the first album, when 
I think it was uh, Johnny C that said, Ready, Red, huh? And then, it, then the beat played while you were scratching. And then after you stopped scratching, it was like eight more bars of just beat. 808, hi-hats, cowbells. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was just stuck on that part. Even to this day, riding home, knowing that I'm going to interview you tonight, I put that song on and I kept rewinding that part back to where they said, Ready, Red, and just let it play to the end of the song because it's something about an 808 drum. There's something about oh, the yeah. sequence and of how it went down that just attracted me to that. So talk about your production style, man, and, and you know, we'll get to the DJ part, but since, we, since, since this is one of the tracks that I really love, talk about your, 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 your production style and how you got into your, your zone um, when it came to putting beats together and scratches. Okay, I heard a record called Flashes on the beatbox going. Yeah. And so I was like, wait a minute. Batman's not only DJs, he makes beats also. So I went to my mentor, Jasper Bradley. Well, he wasn't my mentor yet. It was a brother in the neighborhood who played in band. He's a pistol funk uh, album. I got my mind made up. Come on, you can get it, get it, girl. And all that, he was very instrumental. Helped out a lot of people in the neighborhood. So I went to him and said, hey, man, I'm into this like this thing called hip-hop. He said, ah, oh, that ain't never going to go nowhere. So anyway, he started letting me hang out. And um, I was trying to duplicate a James Brown beat called Mind Power okay. uh, from the Payback album. And um, he did it, but it was stiff. I said, man, that ain't it. That's, that's, that's too stiff, man. You got you to gotta get loose with it. And he says uh, that I cussed him out, which I never did. But he went <laughs> into his closet. I heard all this noise. It's just like you ever see, like, in the cartoons where somebody's throwing a lot of different stuff out the closet, wires came out, music books came out. Next thing yeah, I know, yeah. he gives me this silver drum machine. It's a Roland TR-606, and the book says, here, come back when you know how to use it. And I took that thing home, didn't know how to make a beat from Adam, but I started reading the book, and I found out it was 16 steps to one measure. And I said, okay clap, 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 and then stuff like that. And I came back about two weeks later, and I had that beat down packed. I said, this is what I was talking about. And wow. He became my mentor after that. But he was the one to put a drum machine first in my hand. And then with that, uh, sampling wasn't out yet. This is like maybe 1982, 83. It's coming. You got drum machines. So he had a cork. The chord joints, I can't think of the names. It was a chord, and he had a rolling 707. And I had that PR 606, and he had a Dr. Rhythm with the hand claps on it, which was made by Boss. So okay. what I would do is I would play the drum machine, and I would just run beats under them because I didn't know how to sequence yet. And plus, I didn't even get any sampling until, like, 1987. So I would run the beats along with the beatbox. Then I would go to the local boys club, and just because I heard Flash when he'd be DJing, then all of a sudden he would stop the music and get on the beatbox. I would start rocking the beatbox, and I would start rocking little phrases from records underneath there. So if you heard the Making Trouble album, ain't none of that sequence, because I didn't know how to sequence yet. I would run it with the turntables. Uh, okay. If you notice Making Trouble, the beat plays and it goes uh-huh. and it, it doesn't keep repeating it, it stops 
And then I bring it back again, which is a Peter Frampton joint called I Give You Money. And, oh, um, thanks. <laughs> thanks that's for that. What I did. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did on most of that album. Uh, they had got me a Studio 440. Now, I learned how to sample, but I could just push the buttons. When it came to sequencing, I was like, oh, man, I ain't never going to figure this out. But it wasn't until the Fat Boy uh, Wipeout Tour that I met Too Short. And Too Short had a, a SP-12, and he let me play okay. around with it in, in, in his hotel room. And he says, Red, you don't want to get this. You wait a couple of months, they're going to come out with the 1200. So I went talking to Jay, which is James Prince now, James Smith back in the day, Lil' Jay. Uh-huh. Uh, the old rap a lot records. I say, Jay, this is what we need to get to the next level, man. And the drumming keyboard shop that was on 59, I don't know if it's still there. I think it was 59 and Chimney Rock. Used to okay. The drum keyboard shop right there in Houston. Uh, he ordered it. I ain't know how to drive, but a young secretary named Prashette Williams let me hold her Audi to go get this car. So I learned how to drive to go get this machine, man. <laughs> At the same time. I told him, yeah, I could drive, but I was from New Jersey. I ain't never been behind no vehicle. I ain't never right. drive. I was 26 down in Texas, man. So anyway, I made it, and I got it, and I just spent a week in my room. And I started learning how to sample and put stuff together. And when you said SP-1200, then that is just like a Technique 1200. So that's how I put right. stuff together. I never could do anything or know what I, whatever I could do, Technically, on a Technic 1200 turntable, I never put into the 1200. I'm just funny like that, DJ 360, because yeah. I always want to be like, yes, I can do this live. You know what I mean? Right, so I right. Do it. So I would just cut in to the 12. I would push the uh, the threshold for when I started something on the turntables. It would start sampling, and I could do it live how it was and just put it together like that. And then from DJing all the years, I knew, like, the kicks, the stands, the hi-hats, and the sounds, and stuff like that. So, yeah, the making trouble was pretty much cut and paste, and me just running the 1200s along with the beats. And I would do everything in about one or two takes sometimes. Sometimes I'd be way off. Sometimes I'd be right off. And then sometimes, wow, oh, that was good, just like that. So, yeah, so I'm actually proud of the making trouble. Now, that album right there was put together before myself and Johnny C got down there. N.C. Trahan, James Prince, the jukebox, K-9, and Raheem had wrote most of that. Yeah. And when I got down there, those were the original Ghetto Boys, K-9, Raheem, and jukebox. And rap lot Records was on top of a car lot on Shepherd Street in the Heights. And I went to a battle of the BJs at the Rhinestone Wrangler, ran into R.P. Cola and Steve Fournier. Okay. And uh, I entered that. It was there on Mulberry Street from the uh, from the Rhinestone Wrangler. And um, I won, and a gentleman named N.C. Trahan, rest in peace, uh-huh. and Jukebox, when the original Ghetto Boys came to me and said, hey, we want to introduce you to Little Jay. So I went over, me and Jay talked. A couple of days later, I was there at the Heights. Doing my thing as a ghetto boy. I was a ghetto boy, became their DJ, and they had a local uh, uh, song out called uh, Car Freaks. And I started DJing with that, with the Car Freaks. And in between, I would cut up maybe just fill it or some DJing, like, you know, the show, showcase 
things, and we started right. working together. Wow. And one by one, everybody quit. Raheem went solo. K-9 went on vacation for a while. And Jukebox uh, stayed with me. And we was looking for a replacement for Raheem and K-9. So I said, hey, Jay, I got a friend that I've been emceeing with for about 15 years now called the Prince County C. And Jay threw him down. And John says, man, I need to contribute something because I'm not used to already wrote rhymes and stuff. Now, during this time, uh, they had put out Car Freak. So during that time, it was, like, popular. And being from Houston, uh, to get on, either you were going to be Run DMC-ish, Fat Boys, GTFSOs, you know, of that nature. So it was what was going on at the time. And right. they had, like, the Beast Boys. So a lot of this stuff... So when we did the Making Trouble from Jay's approval and what he liked, it was more Fat Boy Run DMC sounded. So that's right. what he did. It was good enough to get us on the Fat Boy Wipeout tour. And from there, uh, after demographics came in and some personnel changes, that's when we switched up and started going to the gangster world reality rap. But I'm proud of Mason Trouble because that opened the door for Houston hip-hop, believe it or not. That sold 100,000 copies, and it got its natural exposure. So you can never diminish what the original set of Ghetto Boys did, Jukebox, Raheem, K-9, Bushwick Bill, when he was just a dancer for us, and Prince Johnny C. Right. Uh, it wasn't just always Scarface, Willie D, and Bushwick Bill. The Ghetto Boys set a foundation and paved the way, and all this was done from the shot calling of Little James, who okayed right. everything and did everything. Because when we had to go do that mellow yellow luncheon at Jack the Rappers, which was a very prestigious record inside an event in Atlanta, this was a make it or break it. He uh, sponsored a luncheon for all the executives, all the people that was anybody in this room. It was called the Mellow Yellow Luncheon. And we did a showcase. And before I went on, Big Brother, every day said, yo, man, good luck to y'all. And Russell Simmons was over there. I met Russell back at the Capitol Roller Rink when I was DJing, when he was the manager for uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Okay, okay. So I already was familiar with Russell. Russell used to have on like a, like a polo with a Fisher, Fisher hat on and stuff. And I like the sound. So we went on, did our thing. Nobody knew us before. But when we got off that stage, it was like, oh, yeah, got them boys. Y'all going to be all right. And the industry was in there. So the industry tell you you're going to be all right. What song did you all perform at that, at that event? What song did you perform? We, that did, made we did Make It Trouble. We did You Ain't Nothing. We did uh, I Hate That Snitch. And we gave them just a little taste of the clean version of Assassin's. And I put okay. a little bit of the balls in my word, which was an edited version that I had during that time. And and, and the song, You Ain't Nothing, it was, um, it, I, I, let me say this. On the Making Trouble album, there were so many different sounds, from the sound mm-hmm. of um, balls in my word to Making Trouble, then you had I Run This, then you go on and you got You Ain't Nothing. It's like there were so many different things that people can, can gravitate to. If, whatever you like, it was on that album at that time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, why, that's why I think it was a masterpiece. You know what I'm saying? Because you got some artists yeah. who, 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 who
it, it's the hardcore fans that disagree. They they say it sucks. It's a disgrace. Mm-hmm. Them ghetto boys was whack. You see, but it opened up the door and it set a precedence for Houston hip hop before exactly it would come into existence. So you got to understand, right. we went out there and we were the guinea pigs for this exactly. new sound that was starting to come. So that's why I tell folks, have been on both sides of it. I've been on the right. commercial aspect of rap a lot records and then the underground aspect of it. Everything paid a price and kept it going. And right, not right. This as making trouble, then this would not have happened. Exactly. And that's what I'd be trying to press and tell folks right there. But what it was, yes. we just was trying everywhere. Just like that making trouble, that got us on the Fat Boy tour, but the song that they liked because they had Wipeout and they were going commercial, mm-hmm. they liked right. the Elvis joint. And we was able to get somewhere with the Elvis Foundation around that time. He had just died, well, I think 10 years or 20 years, 87, 10-year anniversary of his death. And you know what? When we went to go play Memphis, we met his uh, cousin, Tony Presley, took us all up in Graceland. He says, you know what? They decided not to see you because they never heard anything Elvis did as far as rap-wise, and we like it, you know? Right. And, and, and I'm an Elvis fan. Yeah. Because I did research because I wanted to see that Elvis really said what he said. That only thing a Negro could do for him is shine his shoes and buy his records. Uh, and I come to find out that that was a myth. That was just a misconception of taking the popular black sound and giving it to white artists. At the time, right. A good example is that you see that in the five heartbeats. Right where they get their first record and then the white group comes in there and sing it and they butchered it. That was yep. that was going on at the time. And uh Right. Yeah. Because, you know, if you bad and one thing about hip hop, it overcomes all colors because yeah. some of the most bad beats you want to hear is made by corny looking white boys or corny looking Asians or corny looking Mexicans or whatever. It's just a big melting pot of music. So I stopped looking at color in music a long time ago. If it's yeah. bad, it's bad. You know? Right. You, you would be right. So you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, oh, you looking cats made this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, right. Bob Jones would make the Mardi Gras or Nautilus. So just looking at him, you'd be like, nah, he ain't got that in him. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, so exactly. About music, you know, that I love. So, uh... That was that was a big change. And then Willie D came in. No, actually, before Willie D, Jay expanded it a little bit. Say, hey, I need some other groups. So the Wall Flush came in. The Death Four, Boss. Uh, oh, and, Boss! Um, Damn! Uh, oh uh, my gosh! Oh yeah, man! Oh, you know what? Um, Wall Flush. I said the Wall Flush, Boss, Death Four, uh, the Odd Squad. Uh, man, there's just so many good artists on rap a lot, but due to the fact, and during that time now, remember now, we in Houston. So right. that music is coming out of where now, South? Why couldn't you guys don't go to L.A.? How come you guys in New York? So they did, go, they did move to New York for a minute. But then Jay going through all the things that he went through, come to find out the East Coast ain't playing a song. I don't want to know what the hell is going on. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? So we talk right. about the things that we've been through. Now, I'm born and raised in New Jersey, right? And even being in Jersey, sometimes the East Coast New Yorkers ain't as fun to give it up to somebody outside of New York, even though I'm their neighbors across 
the bridge. Right. And during right. the time, if it ain't from New York, it was whack. You know what I'm saying? So Jersey and in the tri-state area, depending on how you look at it, you got Connecticut, New York, Jersey, or New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, which is Philly. Uh-huh. And little, you know, section of Jersey or Philly had their own little unique sound, which we all know that New York is where it began. And really be so let the ego sit in. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. You know, so one thing we were just trying to do, you know, because when, when they would come to town, they came on some ill stuff, man. I'd be like, whoa. And the one cat tried to, like, son me. I'd be like, hold up, Jake. I'm from Jersey, son. You be done got your bells running out here. <laughs> right, right. Right. Say that. Oh, oh man. You know, you know, you're yeah, you coming down here, Houston is some of the most nicest folks you ever want to meet. Man. You know what I'm saying? But don't get yeah. on that route, because they'll tell you exactly what's going on, partner. You know what I'm saying? Oh, right. And like that a little bit. I had, I had learned a little bit, man. I had learned right. a little bit. Yeah, they didn't, they, they didn't want to come up from out of town making trouble. They didn't want to come out of town, yeah. from out of town, and had no trouble. So what we're going to do right here is we're going to go into making trouble by the Ghetto Boys, uh, produced okay. and, and the scratches. Um, but we go look. I didn't. I, I apologize, DJ Ready Red, because I did not say your, your your full name, man. DJ Ready Red, the musical enforcer. You know what I'm saying? Is in the house tonight, <laughs> and we're gonna go into it right now. Making trouble by the Ghetto Boys off their first album. DJ Ready Red, special guest, the first show on the 360 Bar Show, two, 2018 season two, is in full effect with DJ Ready Red, Making Trouble. Let's go. The name describes the background. And it describes it well. There's so much trouble in our life. We got a story just, to tell. Just, just like the town. We got the crowd. And at the cops so sick, they tried to catch us. Nothing happened. Cause I'm too slick. I'm too black. So black breaker. Put the threat on your life. I'm flesh you up. Like Freddy Krueger. Larry Jump like and a knife. Johnny C's. A bunch of ramen and potatoes. Die. You know what? Boy, it's the visions of my rapping allies. He's ready, ready. The top contender. Of the boys who are Trouble. 
Yeah, and we're back. DJ 360 right here on the John Doe Network, 360 Bar Show, with my special, special guest, the legendary DJ Ready Red, the musical enforcer of the Ghetto Boys. You still with me, big bro? What you say there, barbecue? <laughs> yeah, and we right here. We in H-Town. We, we represent New Jersey. We represent uh, Houston. We represent Atlanta. We represent California. We represent Miami. We represent every state in the nation right about now because this culture of hip-hop that we got is universal. It's international. And like Ready Red said a, a, a few moments ago, it transcends color lines. When he listens to a beat, you don't hear color. You don't hear the color of the artist. You hear the music. And he said he's an Elvis Presley fan. And that's dope. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's your, what's your favorite Elvis Presley song um, out of his oh, I like his them all. Massive. I like the like movies. I like Viva Las Vegas. Viva yeah. Las Vegas. I like Love yeah. in the Rich. Yeah. See, because I look yeah. at an artist with a pill and what he did. And one thing I researched about Elvis, Elvis had a lot of black people on his payroll. When his mother said she couldn't find them in the white church that they would go to up the street, she knew that she could find them at the black church that her best friend went to, and he'd be singing in the choir. Wow. Over there because he went to where the soul was. I don't think when you hate a particular race of color that you're going to be hanging out with them like that at such a young age. Yeah. And he would yeah. do a lot of, he did a lot of good, like, you know, I just found out Elvis died in 1977. His idol was Jackie Wilson. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and he took wow. care of Jackie Wilson. He stipulated that Jackie Wilson is to be cared for even after his death. And Jackie lived several years after Elvis, man, and he was very well taken care of. His, uh, his his maid was given Cadillacs for the rest of her life. Uh, he had a lot of people on the payroll, sent a lot of young brothers and sisters to college in the Memphis area. He did a lot of stuff, man. Did a lot of things. Wow, you shed you shed some light for um you know um, the population of America or mu- people who love music like myself. You you given a lot of um you shed a lot of light. Every, I mean, we love Elvis Presley, but we just didn't know his um his you know at, at least for myself, we didn't know his relationship or how he views African-Americans through his lens, you know what I'm saying? Because we hear the well, stories about, about the, you know, the yeah, shining, yeah. you know, all black people can do a shining. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Now, how it came to light, good friend of mine, my brother, Chuck D, eldest, yeah. was the here with the most. But he Man. never meant, yeah. Yeah. So I'm checking it out. So I said, you know what, let me really research this. What had happened in 1956, uh, Elvis played Boston and gave an interview. Well, upon researching this, this so-called interview, come to find out that Elvis Presley never set foot in Boston during his time as an artist. Never gave his interview to this guy. It was just made up. Wow. Now, he had some panelists, which is the colonel, and, you know, the colonel was old school, sort of like, sort of like the ship night of the white folks back in the day. Okay. And, you know, he okay. Had control. Elvis told Elvis this, that, whatever, and that's where this rumor had got started. But what that was from was like Big Mama Thornton, you ain't nothing but a hound dog, and stuff like that. You know, that's where he had got the hound dog from. Things. Right. So it was okay. a, a black artist getting ripped off during that time, and since Elvis became the bad boy for what they considered to be the king of rock and roll, which is Chuck Berry to me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, right. Right. You know, right. you know, you just add fuel to the fire. 
and stuff, stuff of that nature. So uh, I had to research it and find out for myself because if he said that, I would have busted up every Elvis record I had and threw away every Elvis movie. See, I'm like that, man. I'm like, what? Yeah. I'm going to yeah, tell you yeah. a funny story about me. When I was growing up, Roots came on. And you remember Bonanza, the Rifleman, Chuck Connors, and Adam Cartwright, and all them guys was in there? Yep, yep. Well, once I saw them not being the characters that I was used to seeing, and I saw them calling niggas niggas and beating on this and all this, even though it was a even though it was a TV show movie, I'm like, uh-uh. I ain't never liked them no more in my life. Wow, yeah. right. And I was like, right. uh-uh. I, it, it must have been some very good. I don't even like Monique no more for what she did in that movie. <laughs> right. You know what? I feel the same way. I feel the same way about um, Danny Glover in Color Purple, man. Like, I can't watch Lethal Weapon. I don't like, I, yeah. like he did, he did Whoopi, Go, Whoopi Goldberg so bad yeah, in that movie. It was like, and, and he, and I know he I acted so well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I thought it just was me, DJ. But yeah, nah, nah. Man, they yeah. act so well. Like, I can, I, I, yeah. I, I can imagine that some people might not even like Denzel Washington for how crooked he was in training day. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I, I actually <laughs> love him in that. He just, he's just super genius evil in that one. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. So, so as we as we uh, bust a U-turn in the middle of the street and go back to the hip hop, you know what I'm saying? We're going back to Fifth Ward, Texas. Let's go um, back to Fifth. Let's go back to Fifth Ward, man. We got we got uh, Jay Prince in the house. We got Donnie C, Raheem, Jukebox, DJ Ready Red, and Bushwick Bill. Now that lineup or those that personnel over the next. Let's say we're at 1987, 88. Now here comes a change that occurs. You know what I'm saying? Like, talk about what happened in the midst of the change from the Making Trouble album to the Gripping on the on the um um to the Gripping album, where now we don't okay. see Ready Red before that. Bushwick. Before that happened. Okay. Okay. With Gripping, I got to put this in here. K9 is still on vacation. Okay. At Club Fed, all right? Right, right. Got gotcha. The ghetto boy, Johnny C is the ghetto boy. Bushwick Bill is our dancer. Raheem, the original ghetto boy, he gets a major deal with A&M Records. Comes out with the hit Dance Floor, the first rap artist on the major label from Houston, Texas, to be on A&M Records. And it explodes, and he blows up, and he has a lot of a lot of prestige. So that got wrapped a lot in the California aspect of A&M Records, which was Herb Howard and Jerry Moss. And when we went to A&M Records, they threw a party for Raheem, which had Barry White, Janet Jackson, Jesse Johnson, Herb Albert, and a couple of more other artists at that time. Okay. So that submitted Little Jay's presence in the majors for the first time with A&M Records. Rap-a-Lot affiliated Raheem, Ghetto Boy. So during that time, uh, we working on Gripping on Another Level, which is actually not the grip that would become known that, but we was working on different songs. Okay. And Jay and a brother named Cliff said they was going out to L.A. and they'd be back. This was the secret meeting that you hear about all the time. In media, the meeting that changed the face of hip hop. Yes, 
Well, they go out there, they come back, little Jay sits us down, say, look, man, we're going to talk about the stuff we know, man. We're going to be reality. We're going to talk about things that happen in the streets, things of what's going on. Prince Johnny C said no. Tupac said no. I said, okay, I'll try see what's going on. So we found Brad Jordan. Uh-huh. We found Willie D. Went out to Jay's ranch. And in the middle of that, we got a bright idea that Bushwick Bill would become an MC. So we put together the Gripping on another level album in about three weeks. And Scarface, and, that changed Scar- history. and Scarface had already been an established artist, right? Before he came to rap a lot. Yeah, he yeah, are, yeah, okay. Yeah, he, he already had, he had a, he already, he had uh-huh. that Scarface, but I remixed it for him and put our touches, which is my touches. The to, I put Tony Montana, all I have in this world, some horns and this kind of freaked it a little bit differently from Troy, little Troy's version. Of Scarface. So, yeah, uh, Brad was already out representing uh, South Park. Okay. And then Willie D, um, I heard, I've, I've watched many interviews about the Ghetto Boys and many, I have, I've, you know, the albums that y'all put out at, the, at that time, man, anytime, that's one of, even with like um, Too Short or LL or Ice Cube, if I lose a Ghetto Boy or Two Live Crew album, I buy it again. I don't care how much it costs. I buy it again over oh, yeah. and over again, right? We so, all family. You yeah. We all very cool with each other. We was breaking ground during that time because it was all new. And we was right. always in the fire with this new sound right. of what was coming out, man. Right. Yeah. And and so 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 with Willie D with Willie D came to the Ghetto Boys, it was my understanding from when I watched the interview that he did not want to be part of a group. And he, he, well, Willie he, D was a good solo artist. If you listen okay. to his controversial album, you can yes. see that he's a talented individual himself. He's funny, he's serious, and he ain't yeah. to be played with. And one thing that he could do, he would do a lot of parodies. Instead of How You Like Me Now, he had a joint called F Me Now. And, okay. And, and, and instead of Cinderella, Dana Dane, he was Ghetto Fella, Willie D. And he would and he okay. could do it perfectly what was going on at that time. And uh, Willie D was the master of what they call uh, capping. Now, the first time that I saw this happening, it was the War Flush, Willie D, Romeo Poet, and a couple of other cats. And it was going to be a 500000 MC contest. I said, you know what? I probably could just say some raps that I know from some other songs that they ain't probably heard down here yet and win. But that song said, hold up. We down in Houston. Let me see what's going on here first. They get up there, start capping and talking about each other, mama, bald headed hoes, this, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and I knew I said I'm so glad that I did not get up on there because I could use that five hundred dollars at that time because I'm broke. Right, right. Yeah. But I saw Willie D had a command of the audience and uh, Little J, James Chris was saying, hey, man, you know what, man, I'm going to get Willie D, man, because I had just started doing his album, Controversy. And actually became a good fit. Willie D is a true representation of what the Fifth Ward ain't playing. I'll get witchy, don't care where I'm at, type of brother. Right. And trust me, when we would go all over the country, Willie D did not play. He, Willie D started right everywhere he went. 
He was serious serious with his, man, for real. Man, I can tell, and I'll be honest, and I'll be very honest, I I felt like Willie D's voice and his straightforward delivery and his sound, it kind of carried certain songs and albums featuring Scarface, who ended up having a, a, a more... Um, illustrious uh, mm-hmm. career overall, overall, but but Willie D was like to me, he was the heart and soul of the rapping portion of the Ghetto Boys. Um, yeah, Willie D was there to entertain the hardcore, the hardcore brothers in the audience. Uh, Don't say I didn't warn you. Yes, ass kicker of the crew. Willie D, uh, Bush McBell was the gentleman, and Scarface was the smooth, yeah, dope guy. Right. Crew. So it was, it was a good offset. But Willie D, no matter when we went to Chicago, Detroit, L.A., uh, 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 Memphis, Willie D could always get with the hardcore people in the audience, and they would just cling to Will because they knew that was a real nigga up on the stage. Bro. <laughs> right, right. And with, with, with songs like I Ain't a Gen- I'm Not a Gentleman and um, mm-hmm. uh, Mind of a Lunatic, it was like this dude, yeah. Might, yeah. this this dude might really be crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, um, yeah, I don't know. he's come a long way. Trust me, man. He's come a long. Willie B's come a long way, man. And might, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of all the individual efforts of Scarface, Willie B, and Bushwick Bill. Right. But, but Willie B was, was 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 serious about his. Read the Nikes. And you know what? <laughs> the most funniest cat. If you hang out with him, he'll keep you laughing all day. Just don't get on his bad side because he'll squad you in a minute, bro. For real. And he and he's a Texas Golden Glove winner, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He throw them back. Yeah, we just back down from each other, man. Because I'd be like, uh-uh, I ain't letting him get away with this. But you know, right? Bro, we always trying to get somewhere and work hard. So we, we, he knew we both was passionate about stuff, right? You know what I'm saying, right? And so, so it, I, okay. We never was gonna hurt somebody or hurt each other. That's one thing I can say. We had love for each other. Everybody right. in that group. Absolutely. And um, and I, I don't know how to say this, but uh, Ghetto Boys, to me, I, and I might, you know, once again, this is my perspective. I think when it came to the Southern Sound and being that group coming out of the South, you got Luke and them, you know, the two live crew with the early, um, you know, Southern hip hop, and then you got Atlanta with um, uh, MC Shy D and whatnot. But when it comes yeah. to what you, I don't know why they you, give it to us first, though. I don't know why you know, they say that we're the first from the South. That doesn't you, that doesn't you, register to me. But they consider two live crew to be East Coast um, of Miami. Oh, Figure that out, right? <laughs> right, and Shadi was, was putting it down way before we was. Well, I think I think you know, with the Ghetto Boys, it was like whoever's listening to the hardcore music now, which is a large population of, of white, black, Hispanic, whatever. They mm. they're probably the ones who latched on to that because to, Two Live Crew and whatever was happening in Atlanta at the time, which was probably only MC Shadi at the time. Then you might have had like uh, DJ Smurf and them coming up later and um, other yeah. other artists, but. The, the hardcore fans would quickly attach to the East Coast, which had Public Enemy, the South, which mm-hmm. was the Ghetto Boys, and then the West, which was NWA. Right. So it was like right. 
you know what I'm saying? But even though there were artists coming out at the same time, but now, but but here we go with with the albums again. We got Griffin on the other level. Rick Rubin comes into play. How does Rick Rubin get the project and take it to another level with the release of Ghetto Boys, the Ghetto Boys album, the self-titled album with the mugshots, um, with with similar okay. songs and the same, um, the same song remixed. It's just that. Okay, be honestly. I wasn't an uh, engineer. And when I got to 1200, the, the, the emulator, the e system 1200 is a low-fidelity machine. If you do not know how to engineer, you won't have no imp. If you listen to Griffith, that sounds good. But if you listen to what Rick Rubin did with the same samples, the same kicks and snares that I used on yeah. that, you yeah. damn. You know, because <laughs> right. he knew what he was doing. So I had to just like, let me tell you what my thing was, was this. I, I, I'm a DJ first. I'm not right. maker ready, ready, DJ ready, ready. So my thing was when I would read, oh, we could fix it in the mix. If, oh, the kick drum is weak, we could fix it in the mix. But when I started learning about production and Rick let me sit under his shoulder, Red, always start off with the best first. Start off with the best kick. Start off with the best snare, the best hi-hat. Because that way, when you're putting it together, you got the meat and the potatoes in there. Oh, really? Right, right. So if the kick is thin in the pre-production, it's going to be thin in the, the after-production, too, because you're not using the best part of it. And a lot of people over the years say, you know, you should do red, you should use, like, and some producers do this, and you hear the same drums on all their records. Yeah. I can't, I can't do that. You know what I'm saying? So take a fresh approach because you'll hear, like, yo, man, they use the same kicks and snares as I had. After a while, your fans know. And see right. what's going on. It's like now right. I can hear production. I'd be like, oh, I know where that snare comes from. That comes from the breakbeat uh, substitution kick. Right. The, the, <laughs> the, the James Brown funky drummer snare. Right. You start hearing it and they get processed, and, 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 you know, and things of that nature. So you'd be like, okay, yeah. So, but isn't there a, isn't there a fine line between creating your signature sound though? Because I would listen, remember like Marley Marl would use the piece of President drums on a lot of records. You know what I'm saying? He would just change the tempo, and, you know what I'm saying? Um, so maybe there is a, a, a fine line to establishing yeah, your, your identity as opposed to you know. Bushwick Bill, Bushwick Bill has called me and said, "Yo, Red, I'm going to tell you something. After you left." JJ, everybody, Ghetto Boys albums, and asked everybody to see if you could duplicate what Red was doing. And it didn't do it. <laughs> and, and, and it's the most basic, the basic stuff, man. You know, I wish I could be a fantastic beat maker. I'm going to keep it real. That's I'm not gifted. I know how to be together, but I don't have sonic quality like Dre or like Premier. Or, yeah, you know, but like a lot of, like a lot of cats, it's just it's just there. Unless I got a Rick Rubin on the boards or something, you know what I mean? Because that's right, not my right. forte. Like I said, I'm DJ ready, ready, not beat maker. But over the years, I have learned that it's a sign, so my production has gotten a little bit better. Yeah, but, but you know um, what? You know what? From a fan's perspective, I understand what happened between Griffin on a, on the other level and then the Ghetto Boys self self titled album. But and, and yes, the second album or the re-released album does sound sonically um, like there was an improvement in the production. But 
Rick Rubin is all my stuff already there. But he exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, 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 that, so that leads me to the point of saying, if it wasn't for what you had already recorded and the way that you sequenced the beats and all that, he wouldn't have, it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have captured his attention. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To be able to say. That's, that's what I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, because after he left that jam like that, I'm glad that he did. I'd be like, oh, man. Okay, Rick Rubin, I ain't cool. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Have him sit back and be like, no, nah, Red, you good. Right. Like, well, thank you. you and know, for all those. I was calling oh. him, talking to him. We was going to start working on projects. I called up there one day. Uh, yeah, you guys are no longer with our best American. Uh, talk to you, bye. Wow. Oh, I, I always wanted to know what happened with that, like one album released on Deaf American. I don't know that. How stuff is from the Triangle when it comes to that, man. Um, I don't know to this day what actually happened. Wow. Uh, you know what, man? That always, after, you know, I kind of got on the deep end behind all this stuff. And I had just actually just in the last 17 years of being clean and sober, I've just thrown all that out, all that out, got rid of it all because it was baggage. You wow. Know, because I don't know how many songs uh, we actually sold. I know I was sitting here with Scarface coming up with the elements of my mind playing tricks. They saying I know everybody's getting the credit except for the one that put it together who bought the album. That was a cutout, and I only brought it to one of my heroes, Red Williamson and Isaac Hayes, on the cover. It was for the you used to be able to buy that Tough Guy soundtrack for ninety nine cents at Soundwaves. And wow! To, like you know, uh, when you you know when you when you're a DJ, you, you got your serious crates and you got your so so crates. Right, so right, absolutely. One thing absolutely. about a record, one thing about a record, if the record ain't happening now and if you're doing production, two, three, two, three, four months from now, when you digging and you're looking for something, that record might be the holy grail of what you're looking for. Right, right. You know, so I tell folks there's always something on the record. Right. You know, I was actually, and, I was actually, I was actually digging last night in in a store in Pearland in um, Southwest Texas or Southwest Houston, and I was just going through, man, looking at the you know, um, as a DJ, you could probably relate to this, man. You go through, you dig into the crate. Some of the songs, mm-hmm. artists you may, you may not be familiar with, but you, you, you get attracted by the artwork on the cover, you know, yeah. or... That's how I Before it was called digging, that's what I would do. Yeah. I would look at the covers, and I would try to see. I'd be like, these dudes look funky, but then the guys that you think look funky be the most wackish. Right. It look like they can play. And then when you get there, and then they might like they might be getting ready to jam off a of jam, and you'd be like, "Yeah, oh, man, why they ain't uh, breaking here?" Yeah, exactly. So I had like I had, I had a match like when I was like the heyday of production. I had a match like maybe twenty crates, twenty crates of just I ain't gonna call it junk, just subpar music. But yeah. then uh, over the years, as I went back to it, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, this shit, this is bam, this is this, this is that." You know what I'm saying? Because it always changes. Right, right. Always, you know, so I, I always tell folks, that one thing I can't do now, I'm okay. Where I'm at, what's going on, if I walk past some records, I cannot walk past and not want to look in there to see what's going on. 
And that's the conclusion of part one. Next week, we're going to knock you down with part two. DJ Ready Red of the Ghetto Boys straight out of Houston, Texas. Be sure to check back with us right here on the John Dude Network next week. 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central Time, 6 o'clock on the West Coast. And it's going down 360 bars. Peace. I actually, what y'all may not know, there were nine Ghetto Boys. There was K-9, Jukebox, and Raheem. Then there was Johnny C, Jukebox, Bush Bill. Then there was Willie D, Scarface, Mike. And now, the most known three is Willie D, Scarface, and Bill. I've happened to DJ for all the Ghetto Boys from day one. I'm one of the original Ghetto Boys from the G-H-E-T-T-O to the Rick Rubin spelling of the G-E-T-O version. Been there from day one. Actually, I'm the first cat on the planet to ever sample the movie Scarface. And we all know that everybody done bit me. But it's all good, because you know why, man? Because I don't play, man. Because all I have in this world is my balls and my word, and I don't break them. All I have in this world, all I have in this world, all I have in, all I have in, all I have in this world, all I have in, 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 all I